Welcome back to In the Margins. This is Josh Lund, and we've got a uh, special podcast this morning. We've got a nice group of us here uh, ready to break down a little bit more of Mark 1. Um, I want to introduce, uh, obviously, we all know Matt Fisk, and uh, he and I have been really enjoying doing this podcast, but we also have Aaron Jackson joining us hey. today. Um, Aaron's going to be preaching this Sunday, and uh, he's got a lot of great insights that he's bringing to this passage. Um, but we also have Katie Fisk. So it's uh, great to get, get a woman's voice on here and uh, uh, woman's perspective on uh, these scriptures. So, uh, amen. Super excited about this. Let's let's jump in. We got a lot to talk about. So, uh, Aaron. Yes. Um, I figured we might as well just jump in. Let's read the passage and uh, and really start to dig into it and see see what cool things we can learn about Jesus. Sounds great. Uh, how about I start us off here? So, of course, the, the passage that we're going through um, is Mark chapter 1, and it's a little bit lengthy of a passage here. Um, so we're starting in 21 and going all the way down. Well, before we, we dive into the, the text that we're going to look at today, I think it's good to, to recap. So, so far we in Mark 1, and remember, we're still in Mark 1 here, is that uh, John the Baptist has come on the scene. He's crying out in the desert, preparing the way live in the prophet's life. And Jesus comes in as the mighty one. There's this figure of the mighty one, uh, the, 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 the one who will, the one that will restore the kingdom of Israel. He gets baptized. There's a, a voice from heaven. There's the spirit that comes down. He's rebooting Israel's story. He's driven into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan and he comes out on top then he starts his ministry. He's preaching that the the good news, uh, the kingdom of God is here. And then he begins his ministry by calling his first disciples. We talked about that last time. And now he's going to start actually doing stuff. So here we go. Uh, starting in verse 21, Mark chapter 1. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was a synagogue, in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
Wow, that's a lot going on there. There's a ton going on there. <laughs> let's uh, let's kind of walk through this a, a little bit. Uh, one of the first things for me, kind of reading through this with uh, fresh eyes, perspective, and stuff, is um, this is the first time that synagogue is mentioned. Mm. Up until this point, yeah. you know, John the Baptist mm. has been in the wilderness, uh, the secluded place, the desert, um, and all that stuff. And then, of course, uh, Jesus was walking along the beach when he called the disciples. Um, so this is the first time that the word synagogue is kind of introduced. So what's what's that all about? What is uh, what's some background on uh, the synagogue here? The Jewish church, right? The Jewish church is that is that what it was? I don't know. I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess kind of really uh, in a way like in um, the way we use church is really just a Christian gathering, and that's what the the word synagogue means. It just means a gathering. Um, and of course, with the, this was a kind of a post-exile type situation. Uh, the temple had been destroyed. Um, you know, the Jews were kind of spread out. I thought they had the temple then. So they did. They uh, actually ended up rebuilding the temple um, during the time of, of Jesus here. It was rebuilt. Um, but before that, the temple was destroyed when the Jews were took, uh, taken into exile. So when they were, and that was, uh, I guess the first exile was like 750-something B.C., and then there was a, uh, another exile after that even later on. Yeah, Babylonians, right? There you go, yeah. Um, so while they were in exile, they you know, needed a, a way to still get together and um, get into God's Word um, to revisit the law and stuff. So what they ended up forming was this, this quote-unquote synagogue where the Jewish men would get together and read the Torah. They would read the text and, and discuss it. Um, and um, a town could establish a synagogue with at least 10 men. And, you know, and this is kind of the environment they were they were coming into later on. Years later, they would build buildings that they would that would become known as synagogues. So this is um, in one sense. Yes, it is kind of like the, the Christian church in, in one sense. Um, but this is the first introduction here to that particular concept of a synagogue. And, and Aaron, you've you've been to this synagogue or the, this location, right? I mean, this is the one Capernaum. Yeah, absolutely. This was uh, actually pretty cool because the. Four of us were there. <laughs> oh, we were, weren't yeah. we? Yeah, we all went on the same trip. It's actually funny. I was looking through pictures uh, of that, and in one of my pictures, um, there's Matt's head right there uh, mm. in the mix. It's You're beautiful. Welcome. Probably can't see much more than that. It's wonderful. I do got a big old head. <laughs> and it's all good. There's a lot of good stuff in that head. Uh, but if you guys want to listen to more, uh, I know on the, the Bama podcast, um, I think it's episode 74 or something like that. I'm sure we could put a link in there um, in the show yeah, notes definitely. here. But they do a great job of really expounding on that synagogue idea. So I don't feel like we need to necessarily dig too much deeper into that now. So that's good stuff. But um, did you guys get anything or what did you guys catch when you were reading through this? Yeah, I, it just really stood out to me that Jesus is rebuking this demon inside a man who is in the synagogue. Mm. And the synagogue is this very religious place. And I just, as I was reading it recently, I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that before. How there's demons like in these religious people, like in this religious place. And, and Jesus isn't afraid to go into this religious place. And it just made me think about how I can be scared to go into very large religious settings or even small religious settings. Or when we're in church, like there could be there could be demons there. There could, mm-hmm. there's secrets. There's things that we don't even we don't even know is going on. So there's dark presences even in 
a religious setting. And that makes me afraid. But then I think about how Jesus wasn't afraid and he wasn't afraid to enter those, those settings. He wasn't afraid to deal with people's masks or people's, you know, the fronts they were putting on. He, he needed to well, deal yeah. with them. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. There's an entire side of the first century mindset that included the, this very active, very real, very present, supernatural realm and if you want to hear more about that, you can read the the book uh, Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. He does a podcast yeah. called My Is it My Strange Bible or uh, No? He's got a podcast. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, I think there's Bible Project stuff about that too. But we we touched on this last time that that demons being a, a real presence. It's not something I'm worried about. Like I don't wake up going, oh no, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna run into a demon today. Mm-hmm. That's very much a part of this, and you s- see that this is going to be a, a bigger part of Jesus's his mighty oneness. <laughs> the fact that he's the Iscarateras, as we've talked about before, it comes down to he's mighty not just to teach, but he's also binding up supernatural forces, which is kind of crazy yeah. yeah and it does say there's many demons in just this one town capernaum which Ugh. is just kind of scary which which is crazy because it's kind of like did other people notice that like how do yeah. you know i mean how many people were going to the church or the synagogue here uh for how long you know yeah. how long was that guy there they're like, like oh yeah no I, I go to a church with a demon it's oh. cool and what was he doing like right. in <laughs> the town like was he just hanging out like, did they know that he had a demon? What was his job? What was what was he like in the marketplace? <laughs> did he have kids? What did, did he sell? Did he have a wife? Did he have people over to his house, or did people have him over to? Hello, <laughs> yeah. demon. I brought a bottle of wine. I mean, like th- this is th- these are first world problems, or not first world, first century problems. First century problems. <laughs> first century yeah, I don't problems. Have that problem in my life. <laughs> but but here's the thing. Even for us, I wonder if if these these forces. I mean, we still believe that they're out there, but they probably operate for the most part differently back then although they probably still do now but the question is do we still think jesus has the might and the power to tie up these evil workings in our life in our day and time right you you think about how how people would have given up on a demon-possessed person and he's like i'm gonna i'm here to tie it up like i'm here to yeah get out (laughs) Right. Yeah. Literally says when he says be silent, it, it literally means to be muzzled. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Like, wow. Go get my dog. Zip it. Ooh. We need one of those. A muzzle? For our dog. Oh. I thought okay. you meant for me. Yeah, I thought for Matt too, but that makes more oh, sense. Buy one, get one wow. free. No comment. <laughs> well, what else do we see in here? Yeah, I mean I, I love the intro here. Um obviously it's introducing this idea of authority, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more, but uh, we see it in the demon, we see it in the teaching and stuff like that. But there's something cool that that as I was reading it I noticed and uh if if you've listened to Bema, you, you you probably get this um or you've heard about this before, but there's a, a, a Jewish um literature uh kind of rhetoric that that they use as their writing called a chiasm. And uh, if you've never heard of a chiasm, basically it's just a way to um, write something down to help whoever's reading it understand what the main focus is, that maybe it doesn't stand out from just kind of a first read, but when you realize that it's a chiasm, you realize, okay, whatever's at the center of this chiasm is what I'm really supposed to be understanding and focusing on. And so how chiasms will usually go is kind of a, it's like an A, B, C, D, C, B, A, right? And so there's kind of a, let's just go through this one. I think we'll see it here. Um, but yeah, verses 21 through 28, we, we start off, right? And uh, it says that they went to Capernaum, 
uh, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus goes into the synagogue. Well, if we go down to verse 28, we get another uh, picture here of location, right? News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And so we've got this idea of Jesus um, interacting in different locations. But then next thing we see is that, you know, Jesus begins to teach and people are amazed because he's teaching with authority. Well, what do we see at the end in verse 27? The people were all amazed. They asked, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? So we've got this idea of authority kind of being sandwiched on both ends. And then there's the the, the spirit or the demon crying out, you know, Jesus, you know, the, the Holy One, what do you want? Have you come to destroy us? Um, but then again, at the end, um, we've got this crying out. Well, we've got in verse 25 um, or verse 26, the impure spirit shook the man violently, came out of him with a shriek, right? I mean, it, you know, Mark writes this down because he wants us to understand that, like, this is a chiasm, right? He doesn't have to say he came out with a shriek, right? Well, what does that, what does that benefit us? But, but it, it really helps sandwich this chiasm. And then, um, you know, we've got this idea of, uh, the, the demon talking about in verse 24, have you come to destroy us? And then in verse 26, the impure, impure spirit shook the man and came out of him. So we've got this idea of Jesus really just binding up and destroying this demon. Wow. Um, but the cool part and the part that, that I think Mark is helping us to focus on is the very center, which is what? Holy one of God. I know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy one of God. And uh, what I think is so great about this is, is, is that this is what we see throughout the rest of it. Like if we're trying to paint a picture of authority or, 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 or you know, whatever else that I'm sure we're going to uncover as we talk about this, that man, understanding Jesus, you know, from again, like this supernatural aspect in the supernatural realm, like Matt was talking about, helps us to under, I mean, it takes this authority. It takes us to a whole nother level, not just a teacher who teaches really well, right. Or, or, or with authority, but man, this is coming from somebody special. And, um, you know, What's really cool about this is that this is the only place in Mark where Jesus is called this. This is the mm. only place in Mark where, where where this this idea or this 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 phrasing to to describe Jesus is used. And so I think Mark really is trying to paint this picture and help us focus in which phrasing, um, um, the Holy One of God. Mm. What, what's that about? So it's cool. I mean, Mark obviously wants us to understand that. Jesus being the Holy One of God is something that is going to carry forth uh, something to help us understand him throughout the rest of this passage and the rest of the book, especially if this is the only time he uses it. He really wants us to grasp it. You know, it, it, it's interesting. This is something that, um, you know, we, we actually see used throughout the Old Testament as well. If you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, mm, um, the Holy One of God is used to apply. I mean, it's it's, it's Aaron is is hey. called holy or hagias. You're uh, in the Bible. Elisha. Yeah, Aaron Jackson, actually. There we go. Um, Elisha, uh, Samson, they're all called uh, the Holy Ones of God uh, in different ways. And so while this could have been a Messianic term, it also would have been something just to point to some of the great people of the Old Testament, uh, which obviously Jesus is, is, is greater than. Um, but one last thing that I think is really cool is that uh, if we look at um, scriptures like Judges 13.5, 13.7, uh, Judges 16.17, you go back and read those, but they're talking about the Nazarite vow, uh, the Nazarene vow. And that's, you know, when, when you basically set apart somebody for the work of God, you set somebody aside and the word there in the Hebrew would have been Nazir. Uh, and, and, and so this would have been another way to describe somebody as holy, set apart for God. In a lot of translations, it says that, that I'm holy, I'm set apart. Um, but what's cool is that as the demon talks about who he knows Jesus to be, he says, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And uh, this would have been a play on words. Levels, man. Yeah. This so is so deep. Jesus, I mean, again, just over and over pointing to this aspect that Jesus is Nazir. He is the the Holy One. He is set apart uh, and, and and all that. And so I, I just think it's cool that, that Mark is, uh, he's not wasting any ink helping us to understand that Jesus is, he's different. He's not like the other teachers. He's set apart and uh, he's got some some pretty crazy authority. That That is worth a... Uh, like a term search, a phrase search of the Holy one of God. Like that would definitely be something to go back. And if you're, if you're listening at home, that's definitely worth a quiet time to go and search Holy one of God, to see the grand tapestry of the way that, 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 that term is used across the old Testament. That'll be a fun one for you. Yeah. Yeah. You won't get bored. I'll tell you that. That's cool. Wow. So then Jesus leaves the synagogue here and then, uh, it's almost like a little interlude. Um, it it kind of seems it's like, okay, so they're, they've been to church in the morning. Now they need to go home, grab some lunch, kind of a deal. Um, <laughs> That's what I mean. You know, hey. Take a nap. Typical Sunday, yeah. except for it's the Sabbath. Um, but then they, you know, they get to uh, Peter's house and, I mean, Peter's mother-in-law's sick. You know, she's in bed with a fever. Um, what do you guys draw out of uh, this part here? Yeah. Well, first of all, I just think it's amazing that Jesus cares for his disciples' families Mm -hmm. and that it says that he went and then immediately they said right away they showed him Peter's mother mother mother-in-law. And so it's like the disciples knew and believed that Jesus was going to heal and that he wanted to take care of their families. And so I love that they had that trust in Jesus, but then it goes a lot deeper because this story is actually pointing back to the story of the widow of Zarephath in first Kings 17. And, um, you can go back and read that it's verses seven through, let's see, 24. So babe, what? That's a, that's a remez, right? Right. Yeah. That's a remez. Yeah. So, so, I mean, like it's a, a yet again, another reference to the Old Testament. And it's actually kind of going in order. Like we've had Israel's story of coming out of, of Egypt and going through the water and then, and then uh, the, the temptation into the promised land and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, it's kind of cool. Like Jesus is almost doing like a, a conquest narrative mm-hmm. as well. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like Joshua and and all that. And, right. and now we're into widow of Zarephath. Where is that again? That's in first Kings 17. That's right. So that's Elijah. Right. Elijah with a J. Mm-hmm. Which is just, again, pointing back to Elijah and making these connections. And I'll let you talk more about that. But what I think is amazing going back to reading that story is, yeah, so I'll let you talk more about that later. But what's amazing about this story, if you go back and read it, is that uh, first of all, it's like God is providing for Elijah um, and sending him to this widow and saying, I'm going to supply you with food. And and then again, in this this story in Mark, God is providing for Jesus by sending him to Peter's household. And then the mom is going to prepare food for him. But what's funny is that here with the widow, she started off with nothing. I mean, she was she was destitute. They She and her son were basically getting ready to just die. And, and then here in Mark one, the mother is, you know, sick, ill. I don't know how ill, but it seems severe. And, and then Elijah, um, provides and he, he makes this, this tiny bit of flour and olive oil that she has, he turns it into abundance and he, he, he does this miracle. And so a story that starts off with, with nothing, with destitution, with fear, it ends with abundance, life, and healing. And again, even in Mark 1, 
same thing. Like it starts off with fear and sickness and disease and, and yet it ends in abundance, life and healing. And, and the woman gets up to serve, um, in both stories. It just seems like every time we look at one of these stories and we're not even out of Mark one yet, man, so far, Jesus has just like fulfilled every, like all these massive figures that the Jewish people looked up to. I mean, he's, he's Moses, he's Elijah. He is, you know, this mighty one, the messenger, the prophet, the holy one. And, and, and he is the re manifestation of, of Israel. And he's rolled all into one and he's just coming out on top. It's like, he's everything you look for. He is the perfect boyfriend. He is, (laughs) I, I, I love it. Yeah. He's my first husband. Oh man, boy, that makes me not I can't compete with that. <laughs> well, it's cool. It's like the Israelites would have had almost like a checklist. You know what I mean? Of all the great stories of their past, and they just time and time yeah, again just, just checking true. it off. Oh, wait. So he's he's also that guy. He's also that guy, which answers a question that I had. I was like, okay, so what? So what that it, this goes back to the Old Testament? Like, what does that matter? But when you start to see it like that, it's like, wait a minute, like. And I, I think for me, because I'm trying to bring it to me, like here, here, me, 21st century Matt, I'm like, you know, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about that. But my first thought is that like, okay, Jesus is everything I need him to be. Mm. Jesus is, is, he is inspiring when I need inspiration. He is deep when I need him to be deep. He is fiery and he is contemplative and he is compassionate and serving and healing, healing and yeah. all of this stuff. And, and it, it, it's cool because, you know, I can think that I need other things to fulfill my life. I right. need, you know, I, I've got my Jesus space. I've right. got my Jesus time. Right. But, but it's it's all this stuff together. He is everything yeah. I need. He is my model. He is my my father and my dad and my big brother and my comforter and my, my captain, my captain and all that kind of stuff. It's just that is really, really cool. But it makes me go, I, I want to spend more time with that, with that guy, not this wax figure of a crucifix that I hang on my wall. Right. It's like for so many years I've like kept Jesus in a box, you know, like just kind of limited the spaces that, um, that God cares about even. And Jesus just, you know, explodes the box. He's like, there is no box. There's no bounds in terms of, um, the care that he has for us and, or for me, um, there, there's nothing off limits. There's nothing going on in my life that Jesus doesn't want to impact and, and care for. Um, so, you know, it's kind of cliche, but it's like, man, it does make me kind of love him all the more. Um, it, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. For those listening, I'd encourage you, you know, go back and think about who, who are some of the role models in your life? Who are the people that have had the biggest impact? Who are the people that you look up to? And what are the things that you lean on? you know, the most, maybe it's your position at your job or, um, you know, whatever it is. And I just, I think, man, Jesus has done all of that better than any of those people and any of those things can do. But I lose sight of that so much and might be something good to take some time and think about and realize. You know, uh, guys, I think we, uh, we only have really made it through maybe like two thirds of this passage and there's more that we want to talk about. So I think, how do you guys feel about splitting this into two sections? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's necessary. All right. So we will, we're going to go ahead and split this into two. Yeah. We'll uh, go ahead and uh, start a second one just for, for, for this uh, section of scripture. So uh, join us on the part two.
for this passage. That's in the margins for the part one of this little passage, and you can check out more at nvca.academy. We'll check you on the next time. Doot, 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 doot.